Well, we're nearing the end of a series we've been in uh, for nine weeks now as a church called A Better Story. And speaking of the end, next week is it. Uh, Next week is the last message with the title, The Last Chapter. Um, Every story is headed somewhere, and we're going to talk about how much better than Eden God has planned for us and how committed God has always been to make his home with us. Uh, But along the way to that beautiful future and the hope that we have, we live with the reality, as we've already heard this morning, that things don't always go the way we'd hoped. And as followers of Jesus, we thankfully uh, can admit that, boy, I'm glad that a lot of my plans didn't work out. Uh, God's ways are not our ways, and even when things don't go the way we'd hoped, we can trust that God knows exactly what we need. But the experience along the way of disappointment and grief, and relationships falling apart. And then on top of that, we're surrounded by injustice, and violence, and war, and division, and all of these problems that we're trying to make sense of in our own reality. And all of this is on the way to the most disorienting experience I think any of us could name, death. Being separated from each other in a way that we were never meant for. We were not made for grief or pain or loss. That was not a part of God's original plan for his creation. And so whatever your beliefs are, whether you are settled in those or or searching, I think we can all admit that on some level we, we have this sense that this isn't what it was supposed to be. And as much as that could be discouraging to acknowledge, it's also very reassuring for a follower of Jesus. On the one hand, it is confirmation of this better story that we've spent the last nine weeks talking about, that when we read in the beginning of the story that God made everything good, and then we experience a world that is not that, there's tension, there's frustration, there's disappointment And that is actually confirmation that we weren't made for this. I was realizing that the modern sort of naturalistic worldviews that exclude God from the picture, there is no rational basis to say that something is wrong or even unjust. Because in this sort of evolutionary worldview, um, it's just how uh, we make progress. Injustice and oppression is just how one species makes progress after another, over another. And so in that worldview, we should just be flowing with it. But we know deep in our heart that's not the way it was supposed to be. And C.S. Lewis says something interesting. He says the only way to say a line is crooked is if you have some sense of what it means for that line to be straight. So we have planted in our hearts the way God designed us and to say this is just wrong reveals the presence of a universal right somewhere in the universe. And the other encouraging aspect of sort of the letdown of life sometimes is how many times the Bible gives voice to the expression of lament. And that's the word we're going to be hearing and talking about multiple times this morning. The Bible gives abundant and detailed expressions of disappointment and confusion and even anger. In fact, there's an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations. And we are going to look at some of those, but it is the natural human response to disappointment and loss. And and the 
process for this morning, sort of the outline, is going to be addressing the reality of the pain that we experience as, as people. How as believers, we're not just stuck with the pain. We have God's promises that speak into every experience of pain. But how often there's this process in the middle of the pain and the promise that we maybe rather just skip. And we just have the pain and we go, yeah, but God's good and it's all good. And we just sort of move on. What we're really doing is pressing down and inhibiting a very important and biblical process. And so that's where we're going to focus. But the overarching banner of this part of our series is, as you've heard in this video, plot twists. Uh, Times when things don't go the way you'd wanted them to go. And in this better story of the Bible, there are all kinds of plot twists that we could point to. But even in our own lives, there's lots of twists and turns. And I think we can admit not all of those are bad. I think the assumption here is like all of the bad things that happen. But there's many times when you maybe get that job that you didn't think you were going to get. Or uh, students, you get a paperback and it's graded with a little bit better than what you thought it would be. That's a, that's a good plot twist, right? Or, or maybe you find out you're going to have a baby when you've been told you can't. A lot of things happen in life that, that we can say, oh, yeah, that was, that was good. Um, when I was 14 years old, I had a very detailed plan for how I was going to work with Fish and Wildlife Services. Uh, plan's not working out so far, but, um, but I had everything typed up. We had a typewriter in our house before we had a computer. Um, we had this typewriter, and I had everything mapped out line by line every single year. When I would go to school, where, when I would graduate, when I would retire... And retirement at that age, when I was 14, I had it all written out, is uh, living in a big warehouse with a basketball court with my buddy eating Snickers. It, it's, I don't know why you're laughing. It's true. No, I'm kidding. Um, that was literally my dream of retirement. Uh, but as I got older, um, eventually I actually ended up going to school to study music planning to become a teacher, and I was looking for jobs when I got this call from a church in Missoula saying, would you come be part of this church? I was like, what? Uh, Moving from Bozeman to Missoula is just not something many people do. But (laughs) 18 years later, here we are. Many of you have your own stories, but I was thinking how these plot twists and turns are actually some of our favorite and most memorable moments in the movies we watch in the books that we read, those times when you're surprised and you go, why did not see that coming? And we like it, right? Uh, one of the most notable from at least my generation is the movie Sixth Sense. I don't know if you've seen that, uh, but you basically watch the whole movie before realizing at the very end that the main character had been dead the whole time. And now if you've not seen the movie, uh, <laughs> my apologies, um, it, 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 to paraphrase a popular comedian, Nate Bergazzi is his name, it's been over 20 years. You've had plenty of time to see it. And don't say you were going to go watch it tonight, okay? <laughs> um, but the point is, even, even the negative plot twists in movies, we end up liking and loving. And the only exception, I would say, is when those plot twists happen in our stories. We're going to talk about this this morning after those moments of pain where we all have disappointment, loss, grief, whatever word you would give to it. And the fact that as believers, we're not left with the pain. We also have God's promises that speak into the pain, that comfort us, that reassure us of his presence. But then, as I said, between the pain and the promise is the biblical process of lament. 
All throughout the Bible, we see these examples of lament, and yet these examples are far too often missing in the church. Being able to go through pain, we often skip to the promise. We push down pain. We say, it's okay. God's in control. We have a lot of ways of pretending that we're fine. But the Bible doesn't ever do that. The Bible honors our humanity enough to admit that we were not made for those experiences. And we need to make room to express that. To slow down, to let yourself feel, and to, in the presence of God, give expression. That's actually a definition of lament that I want to offer for our time this morning, that lament is an expression. It's an expression of grief or sorrow in the face of loss. I wanted to keep the definition short, but you could say lament is, it could be an expression of regret or confusion or even anger. The key, though, I would say, really important word is expression. Expressing in some way what you're experiencing. Not trying to stuff it down or slap a smile on your face or pretend it's all okay, it's all good when it's not. Allowing your body to feel, even being aware of what is going on, where you feel that, letting it show on your face, letting words verbalize what you're experiencing. And this morning, we're going to look at some biblical examples of pain, of loss, but also the process of expression, of lament. And then finally, we will end our time with the reassurance of God's promises and how he meets us in those places. But when I think of lament, I don't think there is a a better picture of this than Jesus himself. Jesus is the one who knew exactly why he came and what he came to do, and he knew what God was going to do with it. And yet, as he hung on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He didn't say, well, it's all going to work for good because I know that this is to pay for sins. He just expressed this feeling of abandonment. And if you know Psalm 22, he's actually in that moment also identifying with the suffering of humanity and everyone who had gone before him. But Jesus is the one who Isaiah describes as a man of sorrows and familiar with grief. And if you read the New Testament, you cannot possibly conclude that this means he was sad all the time, right? There's another, I think it's a psalm or said he, he was anointed with joy, Above all of his brothers, he was filled with joy, but he was also deeply attuned and in tune with the experience of disappointment and loss and grief. Man, he better than anyone who's ever lived could feel that this isn't what we were made for. He was familiar with grief, a man of sorrows. And I was thinking how Jesus, more than anyone with all of his perspective, could have skipped over the pain. He could have said, it's all good. Hey, God's in control. He could have entered into these situations of hurt and loss and said, now, no need to cry. But one of the most vivid examples of the alternative is when Jesus' friend Lazarus died. In John chapter 11, you read the story of Lazarus. He's a friend of Jesus who's been uh, sick for several days, and eventually he dies. And Jesus goes to visit the family, and verse 35 captures his response. It is the shortest verse in the Bible, if you didn't know it. And it says what? Jesus wept. What's so interesting about this moment is Jesus knew he was about to raise Lazarus back to life. He actually told 
Lazarus' sisters back in verse 4 of the same chapter, this won't end in death. Jesus had all the perspective you could ever need, and he could have said, no, hold on, everyone, why are you crying? God's in control, God's good. But Jesus wept. Why? Very simple answer in my mind. It's because losing someone you love hurts. It hurts. Jesus loved Lazarus. Even when he knew what was coming, it hurt. And it was really, really unnatural. People say death is a part of life. It's absolutely the opposite of that. We were never meant to die. And Jesus felt that and he expressed that. In another instance, his friend and cousin, John the Baptist, who went before him to prepare the way for his ministry, was beheaded. And when Jesus found out, it says, when he heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. You know, my dad passed away um, a couple years ago, and it was when I was alone in my truck, (laughs) a certain song would come on, and I would express lament. The translation, though, the key here is Jesus made room for it. He made room for grief. And I mentioned earlier the book of Lamentations. We're going to look at some uh, verses pretty quickly this morning and, and identify some different categories of lament that we all can kind of identify with on varying levels. And so if you have a Bible and want to turn there, uh, if you don't, that page number on the screen is where you'll find Lamentations in the Seatback Bibles in front of you. But in Lamentations, just so you know, very, very quick, it's written by the prophet Jeremiah. God's people had persisted in their rebellion against God, and God eventually gave, basically allowed their enemies, the Babylonians, to attack, to destroy the city, actually started by laying siege to the city, which means you don't let food or water or provisions in until things start to get really bad. Um, So they laid siege, they destroyed the city, they destroyed the temple, and they eventually led all the people away as captives. Um, And, (coughs) excuse me. And I want to highlight a few experiences of pain that these people endured along the way with the hope of not just learning about lamentations, but maybe there's a moment where Jesus puts his finger on something in your own life where you say, oh, that is a loss that I've endured. That's my prayer. But in Lamentations chapter 1, the very beginning, we learn that Judah has been led away to captivity. It says they were oppressed with cruel slavery. And then verse 3 says she lives among foreign nations and has no place to rest. As I read this opening statement, I realized this is an experience most of us probably cannot relate to. Right, Being forced away from your, your home, your family, much of them are killed. You actually have to leave your country and go to a place that is not your home. I can't relate to that. But I know that there are at least 115 at Mac who can relate to it very vividly. This national oppression, I think of our Congolese brothers and sisters who have experienced unspeakable atrocities. I've heard stories that I can't share from the front. War that they have lived through. They've liter- many of them have lost family members, seen them killed. Some of them have, have experienced sexual abuse. They've been driven away from their homes. They're literally having to restart life in a foreign country. And on top of it, they get to the place, and I don't know if you saw a couple weeks ago, there was a white supremacist rally 
marching. I saw them at Brooks and Reserve marching around, and one of their signs says, Refugees not welcome. And that was the nicest sign that I saw. And man, I am, I'm grateful for the opportunity to stand up as your pastor, as the church, to say to these people, you are welcome. We are glad you're here. Amen? That is, that is a trauma that I will probably never be able to identify with. But in chapter uh, 1, verse 7, he goes on to a new category of experience. says, in the midst of her sadness and wandering, Jerusalem remembers her ancient splendor. How many of you could say that you have at times felt a sense of loss remembering what used to be? What would that be for you? You'd say maybe there were better times with your career, better times with your marriage, better times with your health. We all can, can point to something that we'd say, I can't get that back. Maybe you have kids that have grown and moved away and you would give anything for just one more day of them cuddling on your lap. And it's okay, the point is it's okay to feel sadness, to feel that sense of loss and lament and be excited for them where they are today, right? We've all had things that we remember used to be. David puts uh, language to it in Psalm 42. He said, my heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. David is one of the best lamenters in the Bible he doesn't just say, well, it's all good because God's good and that's it. He, he's, he goes into it. My heart's breaking. Verse 10 of chapter 1 moves to another source of pain. The enemy has plundered her completely, taking every precious thing she owns. I was reflecting this week on those who've experienced abuse and mistreatment where literally something precious has been taken away from you that you didn't ask for, that you didn't want, but you can't go back and get that back. Verse 11 adds another to the list, just a lack of basic necessities. The wording here is, her people groan as they search for bread. They've sold their treasures for food just to stay alive. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of scraping by, of trying to provide, of being frustrated when you don't have enough there's a lament to that. Yes, we can say, oh, God will provide, and that's all true, but there's also just something frustrating. And Jeremiah says the people groaned. They groaned. Verse 13 moves on to the experience of sickness. And the wording there is it says these people were racked with sickness all day long. I would not ask you to raise your hand, obviously, but how many of you deal with chronic pain? Where the way you feel today is the way you felt for so long that you actually forgotten what it feels like to be healthy. Very common experience that is a cause for lament, sickness and disease. Chapter two, as we get deeper into this, lament is sort of the reality that we all are looking forward to and it's the experience of death. And no one escapes that in this life. It's not just in, in Lamentations. It's not just the natural course of things like the older people all died. But verse 11 says, little children and tiny babies were fainting and dying in the streets. 
It says they were crying out for their moms to feed them, but they had no food, and so they died. And in one point, it actually says the moms had to eat their children. We weren't made for this. Most of us have some contact with death, unfortunately, through a friend or a family member or even pets, which I think if you haven't lost a pet, it's easy to minimize and go, oh, yeah, well, you get another. But they're part of the family, right? It hurts. I mentioned that my dad passed away a couple years ago, but my mom since then has been declining physically and mentally. And like two weeks ago, my younger brother made the call uh, with my older brother and I consulting, obviously, to move her into a memory care facility. Uh, So she's living in a memory care facility. And um, as hard as that is, I was like, gosh, that stinks, you know. Um, But what really hit me is I envisioned going back to visit. And it hit me for the first time that I am not going to go back to my childhood home and see my mom in her living room, in her kitchen. And those moments are hard. And, you know, I could say, well, at least she's alive. Well, at least, you know, that it's, it could be worse, right? And, we, and we, we do that to give ourselves perspective, and there's a place for that, as we're going to see. But, man, sometimes it just squashes. It's, it's a way to fast forward through pain, without just saying, man, this is really hard to give it space. Beyond what I would call these horizontal losses that we continue to experience and lamentations, talking about all of the stuff that happens, Jeremiah also gives voice in chapter 3 to feeling distanced from God. He says, God has led me into darkness. Verse 3, he has turned his hand against me. Verse 8, though I cry and shout, He has shut out my prayers. Have you ever felt that way? That you used to have a relationship with God and there was an intimacy and there was a connection and you haven't had that in a while or felt that in a while? That's a cause for lament. David, again, is even more direct in his verbalization of this. In Psalm 13, he says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Now, again, we could read this and say, well, David, that's not true. God was there. But that's how he felt. And the Bible gives us room and permission to express those things on our way to appreciating God's presence and promises. So there's so many examples of this in the Bible that we could spend all morning. I'm like scratching the surface of all the examples of lament. But based on the fact that this is God's inspired word that we believe and and hold to, I think it is safe to say for as much lament is there that lament is a God-inspired response to loss. It's not what we were made for, but in terms of adapting to this new fallen reality, God is like, give voice to these things that are not the way they should be. It is liturgy for processing through pain. And that's the next thing I want us to see, not only the experience of pain in, in lamentations in these different categories, but... How is it expressed? How is it expressed? Right away in the beginning of Lamentations, the very first example is verse 11 of chapter 1, where Jeremiah says, O Lord, look and see how I am despised. The first thing I want to make note of is that lament is bringing your pain into God's presence. Lament is not griping in the sense of moving away from God like the the, the people of God in the Old Testament saying, God, you brought us out here to kill us. 
That's not lament. That's putting God on trial and saying, you're wrong, God. It's actually holding to the belief that God is good and he is faithful, but this is hard. And you're bringing your pain. You're saying, Lord, look. Lord, see. Do you see this? And you're not brushing over it and you're not sugarcoating it. It's founded in the conviction of God's goodness and faithfulness. But I I want you to notice how Jeremiah doesn't just skip to that in chapter 1. Lord, but I know you're good. There's a lot in between chapter 1 and chapter 3 where we'll arrive at in a minute. But he says, for example, in verse 16, here's some examples of expression. For all these things I weep, tears flow down my cheeks. Chapter 2, verse 10, says the leaders sit on the ground in silence. They're clothed in burlap and throw dust on their heads. I have cried until the tears no longer come. My heart is broken. So you see this very open expression of how terrible this is, of how hard this is. And I think it's safe to say that this kind of expression for us in Western culture is awkward. Can I get an amen? Like this is hard, especially when there's someone around. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh. And I don't know if it's because we're, we're, we're busy, we're self-sufficient, maybe we don't want to appear weak. But I saw a video recently of a funeral um, that took place in northern Iraq. And it was a Christian wedding that had just happened. And at this Christian wedding, they had some pyrotechnics on a table in the middle of the room. Um, and it caught the ceiling on fire. And there were over 100 people who died at a wedding. And I, I saw this headline, I was like, what? And I like had to read it, I just couldn't believe it. But then there's a little video clip that I ran across of the funeral where the groom who lost his mother is being held by a friend and then the bride lost her, quote, entire family. Her brothers, her cousins, her uncles, all of them died. And I wanted to, just as uncomfortable as I think it can make us in our Culture, I wanted to watch 30 seconds of this funeral. That's hard to watch. Um, What I see there is not only expression of grief, but there's others around and they're just there present in the grief. The fact that that groom had, I don't know who, if it was one of his groomsmen or whatever, it was just holding him. And that comes to another aspect of this that I want to spend just a little time on this morning. Where are we in each other's lament? And again, we can rant on Western culture. It is what it is, right? But, but how do we take steps to be more biblical in our expression, in our presence in the lament and the pain of others? Um, one of the best pictures of this, I think, in the Bible is Job. The story of Job, you can read in the Old Testament if you have not, but Job had three friends who get a pretty bad rap um, for some good reasons. But 
Uh, Job had this amazing life. He had 10 kids. He had an amazing family. He had lots of property and possessions. And uh, he's described in the beginning of the book of Job as, quote, the richest man in the area. But he also used that money to help others and to honor God. This guy was like, he checked all the boxes. But then everything was taken away. A series of events took place where he lost his kids, all of them. His livestock all died. His property, his health even started to decay. And even his wife turned on him and said, just curse God and die. But in chapter 2, we read that three of Job's friends who didn't live in the area heard about all this. They heard what was happening. And it says that they made plans to come together and visit and console Job and comfort him. And this is where I want to just pick up and put some verses on the screen here. In chapter 2 of verse 12, it says, As they arrived, when they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. So their response is what? Wailing loudly, they tore their clothes and they threw dust in the air over their heads to show their grief. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. That is such a beautiful and I would say even maybe extreme picture of attuning to someone else's pain, of just showing up, of being present. And it says two times in these verses that they saw Job. I don't think that's just here. Uh, in fact, the last chapter of Job, the, the uh, idea of seeing is used to describe deep personal knowledge. Job said to God, God, before I had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. God, I know you now in a way that I didn't before. And so back in the beginning of Job, his friends see him. They didn't rush in with some preloaded script of like, what do you do when someone's suffering? Well, there's five promises that'll get him out of it. They just saw him. And when they saw what it was like, they had no words. And that was okay. What they're modeling for us is something that Paul speaks to in Romans chapter 12 in the New Testament. Um, Paul says to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. And we all, I think, get that on some level intuitively, like, duh. Right, if someone's like, I got a job, and you're like, oh, good work, man. You know, like we naturally do that. Maybe it's harder, though, on the other end of the spectrum. See, the alternative would be someone's weeping and we rejoice. They're sad and we're like, but you know what? God's good all the time. And we're not seeing them. We're not tuned into what's happening. We're not, we're not tuned into the pain that they're feeling. We're trying to fix their experience. Proverbs 25 warns against it. He sa it says, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes someone's coat on a cold day. Can you feel that in Montana? Or like vinegar on soda. Two metaphors there. One is a little bit of science there, like the acid and the alkali don't mix. And you can see it. That's not fitting. They don't go together. Taking someone's coat on a cold day is an inappropriate response. You're not seeing the weather. You're not seeing their need. You're just doing a thing, right? But to be fair, I just want to give us some credit. None of us is trying to hurt. 
someone. We're, we're, in fact, the opposite. We're all trying to help. We're trying to be helpful. But in our discomfort with pain and grief and our desire to get past it, I think our help can often be heard as, and this is the statement that came to me just from my experience on both sides of this, a person who didn't really help and a person who didn't really get the help I needed, is this statement, this feeling of you shouldn't feel that way. You shouldn't feel that way because God is good. You shouldn't feel that way because at least you still have kids. You shouldn't, right? We're, we're trying to find a way to fix rather than enter in and be present. And actually, Job friends, Job's friends do this in their own way. In chapter three, Job opens his mouth and begins to lament his experience. And then the rest of the book is basically his friends saying, you shouldn't feel that way. You're wrong for feeling that way because you did something to deserve all this. I was thinking um, how we not only can inadvertently tell each other and send the message that you shouldn't feel that way, but man, we do it to ourselves a lot. I think one of the ways we do that to ourselves is we experience a sense of pain or loss, whether it's moving to a new town and realizing that season's over or whatever it is, we, we compare our pain. Like what loss is worth grieving? My answer is any loss. Anything that registers as loss needs to be acknowledged and say, that's hard. It's hard for me. But what we often do is we say, well, at least that didn't happen. Well, I know I lost a child, but at least I was able to have children. <laughs> and to be clear, obviously, perspective is so important in certain moments, but we often use those things to fix, to suppress, to push past pain in an unnatural way. And we compare our pain to others, but also I, I've heard several friends set kind of arbitrary timelines where they're, ex they're beginning to express their hurt and they say, but I should be over it by now. Says who? Says nobody. You shouldn't feel that way because it's been long enough. All of the ways we try to avoid or fast forward through a very important and biblical process of lament. Thankfully, um, this is not the destination of lament. It's just part of the process. We don't stay in a place of pain. We don't live forever in a place of lament, which could be a misunderstanding of this message. But the goal is to be reassured of God's faithfulness and his presence. That's the, that's the goal of all of this. One pastor in Indiana put it this way, confidence in God's trustworthiness is the destination of all laments. Isn't that good? confidence in God's trustworthiness is the destination of all laments. I just really like that he uses the word destination because it paints the picture of a journey, right? Where we don't go from pain to promise in an instant. But we know as believers, man, my goal is I want to experience God's faithfulness in this place of pain. Jesus illustrates this spectrum and this tension with his disciples when he says, in this world you will have trouble, <laughs> Thanks, Jesus. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus doesn't say, uh, you won't have trouble. He doesn't say, There's, don't worry about this. Trouble's not a big deal. He's like, you will have trouble. It will be hard. But in the midst of your pain, my desire is that you would have joy, that you'd have peace, that you'd know that I've overcome the world. So we're, we're, we're living in this, in this tension, I think. Paul holds this as well when he says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, we do not grieve, and I'm so glad he doesn't end there. <laughs> he says, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. 
We grieve. All of us grieve. But he says we don't grieve in the same way. We don't end in the same place as those who have nowhere to go from pain except to say, oh well. And so friends, after Jeremiah's lengthy and detailed account of all of the pain and the mess and and after the expression of lament throughout Lamentations, he gives room for that. He arrives in chapter 3 at a statement of God's goodness that many of you in the church are familiar with. You've heard it before. Um, But right before that statement, I want to give some perspective and context. Verse 19, he's still reflecting on everything terrible that had happened. He says, I remember my affliction. My soul continually remembers it as I grieve over my loss. Now, in this moment, what is Jeremiah reflecting on? What's he meditating on? His affliction. And we could go back to chapter 1 and go back over those categories that I pointed out. He's thinking about the injustice. He's thinking about suffering and oppression and sickness and death and all of these things. And the result of that meditation is grief. I'm grieving. But there's a powerful turning point in verse 21 that starts with what he's thinking about. He says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have what? Anybody know it? Hope. Not grief, but hope. What is that that he calls to mind? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And I love how even the qualities of God that he calls to mind fit with the experience of loss. God's steadfast love. When I feel like his love has stopped or has gone away, I can say, no, God's love never stops. He is always there. He is always comforting me, even when I don't feel it. And his mercy, what is mercy? Oh, that's when I've got all kinds of things that I don't know how to deal with. His mercy is new every morning. Why? Because we need it every morning. I need his mercy. I need his kindness. I need him to be close to me and not judge me which he doesn't. And so Jeremiah is not ignoring suffering or diminishing the pain, but he's embracing God's faithfulness in the middle of it. Um, One of our greatest motivations to lament, Psalm 34 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Do you want to experience God's nearness? This is one of those things where God like has a radar in his character where he's like, someone is broken, someone is expressing, and he moves toward in special ways those who are crushed in spirit. And I think it's because he knows better than any of us what it feels like to to say, this isn't the world I made. This isn't what I wanted my people to experience. He gets it, he feels it. So when we feel it, there's like a resonating thing going on there. Jesus said in the New Testament, blessed are those who mourn. If you want a paradox, there's one. Happy, deeply happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. They're going to experience God's nearness in a way that we wouldn't otherwise when we pull up our bootstraps or whatever expression you want to use and we say, I'm fine. The Bible says he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to those who are willing to express things that are hard. And there's something therapeutic about this. I think it's why it's therapeutic is God himself shows up in our pain. But there's also just something about the way we're made 
that we're able to like not block the flow of something that needs to come out. Ecclesiastes chapter seven, King Solomon had lived life from every angle and he's searching for meaning and happiness. And here's one of the things he concluded. He said, sorrow is better than laughter for by sadness of the face, the heart is made glad. Now again, you could take, especially Ecclesiastes, a verse and just really misapply it to too much probably. But he's, he's speaking to something there of like, when I'm allowed to be where I'm at, when I'm allowed to cry, when I'm sad, it's good for my heart. It's therapeutic for us. So Jeremiah is calling to mind God's faithfulness. And I would say, man, friends, in God's word, we have more promises that we can call to mind than we know what to do with. Do you believe that? In the right place at the right time, that is the destination of all lament, is to say that in weakness, we remember that his power is being perfected. That when I feel lonely, I remember that God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. There is nothing that can separate you from my love. That when I'm experiencing injustice or I see injustice in the world, we have a God who says, I will avenge. I will make all things right. When we are going through sickness and death, we look at the last chapter of the story in the Bible where he says that I'm going to wipe away every tear. There will be no more pain and no more death. This we call to mind and therefore we have hope. And that is what we're going to finish our series with next week is talking about what's coming. But as our worship team comes to the stage, I wanted to end with just a quote from one of our mission partners. Rachel Hawkins is in Israel, and she's been going, living through the conflict that's going on right now. Um, and I read her last email update, and, um, and it reminded me just of this pro- process. She starts out, the first line, she says, it's hard to know what to say. That's the first line of her email. It's hard to know what to say. And I almost picture Job's friends being like, not even sure how to express what's happening. And so she begins with that in her email, but then as I read the email and she's explaining what's going on, she's processing through it. By the end, this is what I wanted to share with you. Listen to what she says. Above all, we refuse to lose heart. Yes, there is much pain. Yet we know and believe that God is here with us, that Jesus has given us true life through his salvation. And the future home we await will be one beyond our wildest comprehension. In that place, there will be no more death, nor mourning, nor crying, nor pain. These dark days will be remembered no more. Can you say amen to that? (laughs) These things we remember and therefore we have hope. So where do we go from here? As a church, we, as you've already heard, have created space tonight, six o'clock here in this room. There's gonna be nursery provided. Um, and it's gonna be a guided time with scripture and worship and a couple prompts and then some space to respond in that time. And if you feel like, man, I don't know that I really need that, I would encourage you just to come anyway. This is an area where we need to grow as the Western church. And so I would invite you to come, just be present. Maybe God does something in you, I'm sure he will. But also maybe God is gonna use you to be an encouragement to someone else, to be present in their pain. So we're providing space for that tonight, but also we've created a card that you can grab on your way out the door. And it's just called um, a little card about like how to walk through lament. How do I, what's my first step if I feel like there's a loss that I have not grieved? 
And I think as the church today, they, we each probably have a stack of things that we have just said, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, when we know we're not good. And so that card is to help you take just one of those things, acknowledge it, bring it into the presence of God, express how it makes you feel, remember God's promises, and then ultimately, if you feel comfortable, share that story of lament with a friend, um, bringing the community into that experience. So if you grab that on your way out, um, my hope is that, and confidence is that God's spirit is gonna lead you in all of these steps that are to follow. Pray with me, would you? God, thank you for how much space you give in your inspired word to lament. That we could have saved a lot of space in the Bible by just saying it's all good because it's all going to work out. But Lord, how important it is to you that you um, that, that we have freedom and permission to express the hard things that we were not made to experience. God, I pray for freedom in each soul, each heart, watching online, here in the room, that you could, there could be a breakthrough, God, in some area where we're stopped up, we're maybe not healthy or growing because of certain things that have been avoided or ignored. Jesus, in your goodness, lead us in the direction you want us to go. And as we uh, sit before you, and sometimes we just don't have the words, God, I thank you for what Paul says in Romans 8, that the Spirit helps us in our weakness, that when we don't even know what to say, you yourself groan, you lament for us, you intercede before the throne. Jesus, please do that in this space as I know you already are for every one of us. We pray in your name, amen.